We continue the Shear in Navi history. The last Shear we completed dealt with the story of Shimshon, the leader of the Jews. And after his Histalkus, we come now to two final stories in the book of Shoft of the book of Judges. These two stories are not placed here in chronological order. These two stories actually took place in the very beginning, just after the passing of Yehoshua. They are in no way related to the story of Shimshon, since they occurred far before the time of Shimshon. The reason they are placed here is because these two stories deal with a time when there was no leader at all. The Jews had no leader whatsoever, and therefore there was complete hefkedus. That means freedom of movement, no one to judge them, no one to guide them, no one to punish a crime that would be committed. Now the first story is put at this point only because there's one single item that resembles the story of Shimshon, a number, the number 1100. Because of that coincidence, therefore it is placed at this point. After these two stories, we will start a new section of Navi, one that is called Shmuel, the prophet Shmuel, from whom came forth the anointing of the first king of the Jews, Shaul HaMelech, King Shaul, and King David. If you recall in the story of Shimshon, the Philistines offered Delilah 1,100 pieces of silver if she would strive to discover the secret of Shimshon's strength. This story begins also with that number, and therefore it is placed in proximity to the story of Shimshon. Torah tells us that there was a man called Micha, Michoihu, or Micha for short. One day he came to his mother and he said to her, I have a confession to make. You owned, you had in your possession, 1,100 pieces of silver, and you claimed that they were stolen. You issued a curse against the one that stole it. I must confess that I myself took it from you. I regret this act of thievery. I want to return it to you. His mother replied, Instead of a curse, I say, Blessed are you, my son, that you admitted this. However, I don't want the money back, because I had already declared it holy. I had intended to use this money for the sake of building an idol. I have this idol here with us in our home, so that we can have private idol worship. Therefore, take that money, the 1,100 pieces of silver, and spend it on making an idol of beauty. This Micha fulfilled, and it was called Pesel. Pesel means an idol, Pesel Micha. Then there was a young boy, a levy, the tribe of Levi, who lived there, and this boy was traveling around. He passed by Micha's home, and Micha asked him where he was from, and he answered he was the tribe of Levi, looking for a place to settle down. So Micha said to him, I have some good advice for you. Why don't you settle with me? I'll give you a very good room to live in, to stay in, room and board. All I ask is that you become the Kohen Godol. You become the high priest of my temple. I have this Pesel Micha, 
you will serve as the high priest, because since you're from the tribe of Levi, the Kohanim come from the tribe of Levi, therefore this will be your place, you'll have the highest possible position. But this boy accepted this because of the salary he was going to be paid. He was being paid very nicely for it. He accepted it. It's important to note, we once mentioned this when we learned Gemara, a reference to this story, that the name of this boy was Yonason Ben Gershon Ben Menashe. That's how it's written in the Torah. But the word Menashe, the letter of Nun, is written in a very tiny size and suspended in mid-air. That means that the letter Nun doesn't really belong there. Without the letter Nun, the word is Moshe. So Gemara says, really, he was Yonason, the son of Gershon, the son of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why is the letter Nun placed there? To hide the embarrassment. Embarrassment that the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu should turn to idol worship, become a Kohen, a priest at idol worship. Yomar tells us that this teaches us an important lesson. If you recall, we discussed this in detail at one time. The difference between Aharon a Kohen, who married a girl from a very outstanding family, Elisheva Basminadov, therefore he had children and descendants who were all pure. Moshe Rabbeinu married Zipporah, the daughter of Yisro, though he was a convert, but still it was a family without background at all, a non-Jew. And as a result, there had to come one from that family who was not pure, who turned to idol worship. This teaches us that a person should be careful in selecting a wife from a good family background. At the same time, the Gemara says that Abinazal points out, too, that this was not really idol worship. This boy made a mistake. He erred in understanding a law. The Gemara says that a person should never seek alms, charity, do whatever kind of work or trade that is possible, no matter how low beneath your dignity it is, but at least earn an honest living instead of accepting gifts or charity from others. Disregard your own pride completely. Go down to something as low as idol worship. This, of course, does not mean that literally. Idol worship or idols are considered the same as dead animals. They are tome, impure, just as dead animals are. This refers to the fact that if it requires you stripping the skin, the hide of dead animals, it's the lowest kind of work possible, you should still do it in order to earn an honest living. This boy mistook that statement to mean it literally, to even take on employment in idol worship in order to earn a living. This was his mistake. But he did not believe at all within himself. He had no faith at all in this idol. So, in other words, there did not come forth from Moshe Rabbeinu a real idol worshiper, just one who had made this serious error, as we'll see later on too. And this boy continued to serve in this home of Micha. And after a while, something else transpired. This was at a time after Yeshua had conquered the land. The Jews had not yet fully divided the land among themselves. So the tribe of Dun, the tribe of Dun was a very powerful tribe. In fact, Shimshon came from that tribe. The tribe of Dun, they were a group who wanted to seek out a place to settle. So they selected six spies, six very strong soldiers, fighters, to go out and spy out the land and select a place for themselves. These six spies... Six men set out. They traveled from city to city. They happened to come by the 
city where Micha lived. They came to the house of Micha. They saw this idol there. They saw this lady, this boy. They spoke to him. They said, you have your Kohen, Holy Godel. In the Holy Temple, the Kohen Godel had special kind of clothes, which he had stones, diamonds, where a person could ask questions of heaven, of Hashem. These Urimitumim, these diamonds lit up, and they would respond with the answers from heaven. So they asked this boy, could you tell us whether we'll be successful in our venture, since you are the Kohen? The boy said, you'll be successful. Hashem will help you. But as far as this idol, there's no reply from this idol. I must confess that, to me, this idol is worthless. They disregarded his belittling the idol. They accepted only his statement that they will be successful. They set out with complete hope in their success. And in traveling, they came to a city called Laish. This city was so isolated from civilization, it was so far away, there were no telephones, no radio of any kind, no communications, so that this city was completely helpless in case of an attack. The six men saw the city. They decided this was the place where they would settle. They returned to their tribe and notified them of this perfectly situated piece of land. They came back to the uh, tribe of Don. They gave their report, and they assembled a small army of 600 men to go out and conquer this city. On their way, these six spies reminded themselves about this lady, this boy in the house of Micha. They told the 600 men, let's take this boy with us. As long as we're going to settle, let's have our own Kohen and our own idol. The men agreed. They came to the house of Micha. They met this boy privately and told him, you want a good position, don't you? What's better for you? to be a Kohen for one single family of Micha, or to be a Kohen in one of the most powerful tribes of Israel. Come with us. We'll make you the Kohen Gadol in our city. You'll be the leader of the entire tribe. This boy couldn't refuse. They stole the idol, the pestle of Micha. They took the boy with them, and they left. A few minutes later, Micha noticed the pestle gone, the boy gone. He looked out and saw this army of 600 men leaving, he began to pursue them. Just himself and a few of his brothers, his family, when they came close, the men turned around. These were 600 real fighting men. They turned around, they called to Micha, what do you want from us? And Micha looked at them and said, you've got a nerve. You steal my idol, you steal my Kohen, and you ask what I want? So they said to Micha, you didn't understand our question. We asked, what do you want? Right now, you have your life, your future in front of you. If you come any closer, you'll lose both your life and your future. Now take a choice. Micha made a very fast calculation, and he realized that what they said was very true. And so, valuing his life, he returned home very despondently, without the idol, without the boy, and settled down to regret the action that just took place. Meanwhile, these 600 men went on. They came to the city of Laish, people who were very peaceful, very quiet living, and again with no communications whatsoever. They attacked this city. They were defenseless in the face of such odds. 600 powerful fighters 
The city was completely wiped out, but so completely there should be no one left to tell this tale. Every man, woman, and child was wiped out. The city was burnt, sacked. Then they set about rebuilding the city for themselves and to settle there with Heselmicha and his boy, where they stayed afterwards. Of course, note one word. They wiped out any remnants, any trace of a living witness. And yet, the story is told very clearly in the Torah so that everyone forever afterwards knew all the details. Nobody can ever commit a crime or a sin against Hashem and have it remain a secret. The origins of a person commits a sin hiddenly behind closed doors, Hashem sees to it that it becomes publicized afterwards so that there's no way person can hide out from Hashem. This was the story of Micha and the idol. This is the first story. second story is of much more import, a longer one, and one of the outstanding stories that are discussed in the Gemara too at length. This was around the same time, also at a time when there was no leader of the Jews. No one could dictate the law to them. Each one took the law into his own hands. The story started a very minor incident, but which erupted into something that was world-shaking, affected the entire Jewish people. A person, a man who was practically unknown, lived in the... He was also had to be a lady. He lived in his own private home, and he begot himself a concubine. It's a pelegish in Hebrew. It means a woman, at that time it was legal, to take a woman without an official marriage contract. It was legal. And he liked her. He stayed with her. He called her his wife. Apparently his in-laws, too, had accepted him as a desirable son-in-law. His in-laws lived at a great distance from him. He lived in a city in his own place, Islachim, they lived in Yerushalayim. So, he lived happily, till one day, something happened to cause a rift between himself and his Pelegish. Again, we'll use the word Pelegish rather than concubine. Pelegish means a sort of semi-wife. Now, the Gemara says, note the wording in the Torah is about Tizne Olok Pelagsho. His Pelegish did something that was like Zenus. Zenus means committing adultery. Yomara says it was not really Zedus. She did something to displease him. There's a debate in the Gemara as to what crime she committed. One says that she offered him food and there was a fly in this food, the soup. Second says that the food had a hair in it. This is a debate in the Gemara. Now, this displeased him so that he became very angry and he sent her off. She fled to her father. Interesting to note, this is a debate in the Gemara as to what occurred. You have two rabbis in the Gemara, both arguing that she gave him soup with a fly in it, the second soup with a hair in it. Well, we know that every word in the Gemara, no matter who speaks it, which rabbi says it, is the word of Hashem. Therefore, every word in the Gemara is true. Now, the question is, the Gemara itself raises this question. Since Elav or Elav divided the Kim Chayim, both, you have a debate between two rabbis, both are the words of Hashem. In this case, both are true. How can both be true? Which took place? 
what was the crime she committed? Was it a fly or was it a hare? The Gemara says that the rabbis were perplexed. They asked Eliyahu Hanavi to find out which was the truth. And if one was the truth, how could both be true? He came back and said that Hashem said the truth was that both had happened. He had found a fly in his soup first. This angered him, but not enough to expel his pelagish. He found a hair in his soup. This angered him so much so, more, that he finally expelled her. First one because he felt that a fly was not her fault. It could have gotten there by itself. A hair was due to neglect or carelessness. And therefore, this was a point which his patience let out. He was exhausted, and he sent her away. Now, he had sent her away, but actually she fled the home. She fled because of fear. And Igmaris says that this case, we should learn a very important lesson, that though the Torah advises that man is king of his domain, of his home, man rules over woman, a husband rules over his wife, yet it is very wrong and very criminal for a man to rule with an iron hand to the point where he instills a deep fear in his wife, because if he does, a lot of harm can come from this as we see the results of this story. That's why this story was brought out so strongly to show how dangerous it is for a man to instill this deep-seated fear in her heart. She went to her father, and her husband waited for a period of four months, waiting for her to come back. He was filled with remorse, regret over what he had done, how strict he had been. He decided that he would lower his pride, go to his father-in-law to bring his wife back. It was a long trip. He came to his father-in-law's home. His father-in-law was very elated, overjoyed to see him. He said to him, I want to invite you to stay with me for a few days because we don't get a chance to see you much, especially since this is on a peace mission. You're making up with your wife. Stay here, eat, drink, be my guest. The man agreed. He stayed there for three days. In the three days, he said to his father-in-law, the time has come, I must go back home. Give me my wife, and I shall return. Father-in-law said it's very difficult to part. Parting is a very difficult experience, sensation with one who is so liked by us. Please stay over another day. He stayed until the fourth day, good morning. And then his father-in-law said, before you go, have a good meal first. Spend a few more hours here. This he did. The hours dragged on until it turned to evening. Then again, the father-in-law said, it's too late to travel now at night. You know, the, the mules and the horses didn't have headlights. You cannot travel on the road at night. So sleep over tonight. He wasn't too happy about this, but he slept over that night. In the morning again, his father-in-law begged him, don't go on empty stomach. Sit a while, eat a while. This was the fifth day. It was late afternoon, a father-in-law said to him, it's too late to travel now, you better stay over another night. The man said, that's enough, I will not stay any longer, you've kept me long enough, I want my wife, I want to return home. So he said to him, it is dangerous, and he said, well, I will let, there's still some sunlight out, when it gets dark, I'll stop, I'll find a place to stay overnight. So they parted, it was a sad parting, the husband took his wife, they rode mules, he had a servant with him, 
and they set out to travel. The servant boy served them on the way. They traveled until it started to get dark. So the boy said to his master, it's difficult to travel any further. Here's a city. Let's stop here and stay overnight. And the man said to the boy, we cannot stop here because this is a city of Goyim, non-Jews, Yidhayimusi, very dangerous to stay over Goyim. Let's continue on because a short distance further is the holy city of Yerushalayim among our own people, tribe of Benyamin. The tribe of Benyamin is the tribe in which the city of Yerushalayim was their portion. And so they traveled on with difficulty because it was getting pretty dark, but they got to Yerushalayim. They finally arrived at the city. They rode through until they came to the center of the city. By this time, practically everyone was asleep already. The question was, what do they do now? There were no hotels there. They couldn't find their way around to an inn. Where do they stay? Where do they sleep overnight? They stood there perplexed. Suddenly an old man came out and said to this man, You're a stranger here. You're not going to stay out at night. Please come to my home. Very welcome. I want the mitzvah of Achnos HaSarachim. Accept you to my home. Stay there overnight. The morning you can travel further to your own home. Amen. Thanked him very much. He said, I won't incur any expense for you, and the morning will leave. In fact, if it costs anything at all, then I will pay you. The old man said, No problem. Everything you need, I'll give you. So he brought his mules into the barn. They washed up. They went into the house. They sat down. They started to eat and drink. They were sitting at the table, enjoying themselves. Suddenly they heard a loud roar outside. People were knocking on the door very loud. It sounded like a band, a group of men screaming outside, yelling. The old man came to the door. They asked him what they wanted. And they said, you have a stranger here. Send him out to us. We want him. The old man said to them, I beg of you, my brothers, don't commit evil. This person is my guest, and I will not allow any harm to befall them. In fact, if you wish, instead, I have a young daughter, a girl of beauty, who's never been, who's never had any relation with any man. You may have her to do as you wish. Commit any sin, any crime you want, take her. In fact, I also have the wife of the man who is here. You can have her too. Just leave this man alone. The men started to yell. And he opened the door slightly, and the husband took his wife, pushed her out through the door. The men rushed forward, grabbed her, he locked the door, and they stayed inside. Time passed by. The husband went to sleep. In the morning, he came to the door. Meanwhile, that night, the entire night, these all this band of men, criminal ruffians, the tribe of Yemen, attacked this woman consistently, by morning, he deposited her at the doorstep, and she fell over dead. The man opened the door in the morning. He called to his wife. He saw her lying at the doorstep. He called her again. He found there was no response. He bent over and found that she was dead. He very quietly picked up the body, placed her on the mule, and rode back to his own city. When he came home, he took the body, Placed that on a slab, took out a sword, 
very carefully cut the body up into 12 parts. He took each one of these parts, wrapped it up carefully in wrapping paper, and mailed it, a special messenger, to the leaders of the tribes of Israel. With a note, this is a crime that's been committed. What are you going to do about it? When the leaders received these packages, they were horrified. They said, we must find out the details, and there must be punishment meted out for something like this. So they were so swift in their actions that they assembled an army of 400,000 soldiers immediately because they felt there was something behind this story. They had this man come and relate the story to them. The tribe of Benjamin had committed a crime that was so vile, cannot go unpunished. So they sent a message to the tribe of Benjamin from the other tribes saying this crime has been committed on your premises, your land, your city. We want you to surrender the guilty parties to us or else there will be war. Tribe of Yemen rejected this ultimatum. They mobilized their army, a total of 26,700 men. So we have now two armies set up, one 400,000 soldiers, the other tribes of Israel, and one 26,700 men. Of that number, there were 700 special soldiers who were all left-handed but who were extreme marksmen with bow and arrow. They never missed their mark. But this very uneven side, one against the other, there was more than nearly 20 to 1 odds, plus the fact, worst of all, was that this was Jew against Jew. No Goyim at all were involved. This was a purely civil war. Now, let's see why they were ready to do battle to kill their fellow Jews. Why did they say this was a war to the finish? What was the crime committed? The topic is a very, you have to use the word, distasteful one. Because even the Gemara itself, when speaking about it, at times uses that word. In the Gemara, there is nothing that is discussed without being completely open about it. But the Gemara speaks about the laws of Shabbos or the laws of Kashrus, or the laws of relationship between husband and wife, in detail, there is never a difference. Every single item is holy, because it is a mitzvah. It is a law. Whether it's a mitzvah command, or whether it is considered a mitzvah of a negative type, Losa said, do not commit a sin. These laws are discussed very much in detail, in open detail. There's no such thing as a thing being unclean or unfit to speak about if it is a mitzvah. Yet there is one case, one law, that is so distasteful that the word kivastan is used, which means nauseating. It is a crime which the Torah considers, Torah meaning the word of Hashem, a crime that is so evil that the only penalty for it is death. It is a crime for which there is no excuse. There is no possibility to evade that death penalty. Many sins in the Torah where there are death penalties too. Idol worship, Shabbos, murder, adultery, those are all, they all call for the death penalty. But there is one that is far worse in this sense. That is a, a homosexual act. 
this the Torah considers so evil and so low that there is no excuse whatsoever at no time can ever the excuse of sick or sick mind be applied to it. Present day society, to the tragedy of all civilization, all mankind, we find that there are certain groups who speak about these people as being sick or condoning to a degree their acts. According to the Torah, that word can never be used, the word sick or sick mind or any other excuse possible. It is a, an evil crime of such a nauseating degree that any person, Asmashalom, whoever commits a crime like that, must be put to death without hesitation. Now, this was a crime, the Gemara says, that was so rare that among Jews it was not prevalent. It didn't happen among Jewish people. It could happen among Goyim, but Jews were never suspect of even thinking anywhere along those lines. So, when it did happen, in rare cases, one, the case of thousand years, it was considered so terrible a crime that it had to be punished to the highest possible degree. And this will answer the question, the obvious question. How is it possible that here is a man who has a daughter who is pure, untouched, and he's willing to sacrifice his daughter to a mob? Here is a man, a second man, who has a wife, it's his own wife, willing to surrender his wife to a mob that may destroy her. Very possibly. They are killers. Yet they did not hesitate. He pushed his wife out. This man surrendered his daughter. For what sake? Because this mob came crying, Give us the stranger that you have. For the purpose of committing that unmentionable crime. This too explains the case of Goyim, the city of Sidon. This was one of their crimes. How come that Lot, nephew of Abraham Avinu, on a Malachim, came to him, accepted him as guests, when the people came to his door too, knocking on his door, wanting to break it down, give us those strangers, it was for this same reason they asked it, and Lot said to them, take my daughters. A father should give up his daughters, because there's nothing that can ever compare to this crime. Any sacrifice is not big enough to spare this crime from being committed. So, therefore, the Jews looked upon this as an act it had to be punished immediately, and if not, the entire tribe was guilty. The tribe of Benyamin refused to surrender the people guilty of this act. For whatever reason, they defended their own people, and so the Jews declared war against their fellow tribe. Now, the Jews went to Shem Shemayim. They were doing a mitzvah. They were punishing an act that required punishment, they were punishing those who were defending the guilty. But they decided to first ask. They came to the Holy Temple, the temporary Holy Temple of Tanamishkan, and they came to the real Order of Atonim, the chest plate of the Kohen Gadol. They asked the question of heaven. We are going to battle against the Jews, Binyamin. We ask the advice of heaven. Who should go forth first in this battle? The answer lit up. Let the tribe of Yehuda go to the front line to attack first. Of course, they all go together, but it's the front line that makes contact first. This is not artillery. These are contact, body contact among soldiers. So the Jews set out, feeling secure, feeling sad they're going to battle their own brothers, but secure they were going upon the advice, direct advice of heaven. They went into, into battle, 
the early very first day, the results of the battle were that 22,000 soldiers were killed. 22,000, all on the side of the Jews, from this 400,000. Not one soldier of the tribe of Yun was killed. This was a very horrible result of battle, very shocking to them. They returned from battle that day very sadly. They couldn't understand what went wrong, why they should have a loss. They were the good ones, they were battling the evil side, and yet they had a loss of 22,000 soldiers. So they turned back, they cried, they prayed, they went back to the Holy Temple, they asked, shall we go? Shall we continue the battle? Yes, he came back from heaven. Hello, go up. He's going to battle. They returned to battle the next day. The second day of battle, 18,000 more soldiers on their side were killed. A total of 40,000 soldiers died in this battle. They had still got nowhere as with the tribe of Yemen. They were the innocents. The guilty ones were winning. So they cried again. They prayed. They came to the Kohen Godol. At that time, was Pinchas HaKohen. Pinchas HaKohen at that time had Ruach HaKodesh. This was before the story of Yiftach. They came to him and said, We must have done something wrong. You as going Gadol, correct it for us. And he said, Of course you did wrong. You could have gotten the entire thing easily. The mistake was, you tried to make contact yourselves. In order to ask Hashem a question, you must go through the tzaddik who has that contact. In this case, the tzaddik was Pinchas HaKohen. You must go through the Kohen Godol, ask the question to him, and only he can ask the question properly. So they said, fine. What was wrong with our question? Let's watch you ask the question. Pinchas said, very simple. My question is, turned to Hashem with the chest plate, should we go up into battle? Will we succeed? Not just going. Will we be victorious? The answer came back. Go, and you'll be complete. You'll enjoy complete victory. It's the best way to ask a question. You don't ask half questions. If you do, you trap yourself because the Zohar Kodesh says that the Satan watches a person's words. If they're not clear, if they're not pure, then the Satan himself attacks and does harm. Even in Tefillah too. Zohar Kodesh says, for example, when you ask Yudhispalel, just as Yaakov Avinu, who was perfect tzaddik, Yudhispalel to Hashem, what clarity do you need there? Hashem can read a person's mind. And yet he prayed to Hashem and he said, Hashem, save me from Esau. He said, that's you lady now, please save me, rescue me. Miyad Ochi from my brother. Miyad Esau from Esau. To make it clear, if you say my brother might be somebody else, another person can be called a brother, or if I say just Esau alone, there are a lot of Esau's in the world. I want to make sure my prayer is very clear. My brother, Esau, combining all the, to eliminate any possible error there. Though you're speaking to Hashem, can read your mind, the Tefillah must be very clear. So this time, they went into battle. The next day, they surrounded the tribe of Benjamin, and as Benjamin came out to do battle, they set part of them went to the rear, burnt their city. And that day, they wiped out 26,100 soldiers. They destroyed the entire city. 
burnt it to the ground. They meant that for the entire tribe, these were the soldiers, the rest of the families there, were all wiped out too. So there were no men, women, children left from the tribe in Yemen except 600 men. That was the total of Jews left from that tribe. They stopped then. Battle was, that day's battle was over. The Jews came back to the Holy Temple. There, they broke out in tears. They said, if we go back to battle tomorrow, it will mean that forever afterwards there will be one tribe missing from the 12 tribes of Israel. Should this come to pass, how can we allow an entire tribe to be wiped out? So they decided that they will not do harm to the rest of them. Just, they swore that they will not give, they will not associate with them, to relate with them, they will not offer their daughters to these 600 men. Which means that they won't be related to them, but at the same time, they realize later, this means that they will leave the 600 men live, when these 600 men die, again they wiped out the tribe of Yemen. And they found this too is very bad. So they looked for a way to solve this problem. They had to get some Jews who were not present when this sure this vow was made. They found a place, one city of Jews who were absent from that, at that time. It was a battle. Again, they punished the Jews that were there. And they said, since they were punished now for not coming together with them, not joining them in battle, at the same time, the people in that city were not present when this vow was made. So, we have a chance. All the girls in that city could marry these 600 men. And this they did. They matched them. But found there were a total of 400 girls there. Enough for 400 men. There were still 200 without wives. What to do now? So they decided they could not break their vow. What then? Let the girls go out into the forest on a special day for a picnic, for an outing. Let these 200 men, the tribe of Yemen, wait there, lurk there, and kidnap these 200 girls. Then they would be, they'd have wives of themselves. It was a trick, a ruse, but it was in order to save the future of the tribe of Yemen. But all this took place, this of course worked, 600 were married, and they settled in their own cities. This is to show the honesty of the Jews who could have plundered, sacked, and also taken as loot, as booty, the conquered territory. This they did not because they felt the sanctity, the sacredness of Eretz Yisrael belonging to each tribe of the so the tribe of Yemen settled in their own land, and they began to multiply until eventually, of course, they returned to their normal numbers. The point here is, the last sentence the Torah points out, is that this happened because there was no leader at the time. If there had been a king or a leader, he would have seen to it that the guilty ones had been punished, this would not have come to pass. This we come to the next story, though, took place many generations later, story of Shmuel the prophet. That is the next story. We should learn how important the midah of chesed, the quality of kindnesses, the quality of patiences, the quality of arichas apayim, how evil is the quality of chaos, a person losing his temper, and what harm will come from it. 
quietliness of a person to be kind and patient. Now, for that, you can have true peace in a family and among the entire people of Israel. We should be zechah that acquire these qualities. Hashem should bless us with shalom a Yisrael, peace for all of Israel, for all Jews, and to see finally the coming of Mashiach, the Yerbeis Hamikdash, and Heda Amen.